0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are about to start worship, and so we ask that everybody just start to get your mind on God, and let's just get in a good place so that we're ready for the word later. So if you could, please stand with us, and let's give God praise. knows our every weakness take get to the Lord in prayer Lord of care. Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise for sin? there
1: Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, you are our peace, and you are our faith. You are majestic, holy, and ever-present help in troubled times. You anchor us, and you hold us close by your words of life and truth, life and truth that is the lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. You are the one and only wise God. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be forgiven and saved from our sin and error. As your people and as a nation, we must confess that we have purposely wandered away from your statutes and commands. Our complacency, compliance, and apathy has resulted in a world that is becoming increasingly uncomfortable for those who want to repent and follow you. Hear now our personal silent confession. Thank you, Lord, that if we confess and repent of our sins, you will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We thank you, Father, that we may freely come to you in prayer for our personal concerns and also to intercede for one another, as well as believers around the world who are suffering in difficult, difficult circumstances. Hear now our silent intercessory prayer. Help us, Father God. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us, Holy Spirit. For without you, we can do nothing of eternal value. May our minds and hearts be transformed to see the world through your eyes and your heart. May we be strengthened by your righteous right hand as we choose to live into the light and truth of your holy scripture. All honor, all glory to you, our rock, our anchor, our stronghold, to whom we cling. Thy will be done in the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.
2: Well, good morning to La Jolla Community Church. For a moment, I'd like to draw your attention to the card you may have received when you entered. If you are new or if you have new contact information, we invite you to share uh, your information with us on the Connect card so that we can get a hold of you and let you know about the happenings of the church. On the back side of that, if, if you or anyone you know is in need of some prayer for any issue, um, please do fill that out for us and allow our prayer team to help contribute uh, in, in praying for yourself or your loved ones. Thank you very much, and with that, I'd like to invite Pastor Steve up, Steve up for the message of the morning. Thanks, Greg. Well, welcome to worship today. Uh, we welcome you on the patio. Uh, we welcome those uh, poolside with a cool drink out in the desert. Uh, Special shout out to those on the International Space Station watching this morning. So uh, glad everybody can be here on this President's Day weekend one way or the other. Uh, What's God doing in your life? It's a personal question. What is God doing in your life? Are you aware of what God is doing in your life? Uh, That's not the focus today, but that's the transition into what we want to talk about and focus on today. Uh, one of the most powerful things in life is to be aware of the fact that God is working in yours. Knocking on the door of your heart saying, it's me. I'd like to commit and, and get to know you. Or it's me. Uh, let's continue on this journey together. It's me in this horrible situation. I'm with you. It's me in the midst of all the success. I want to show you the significance in the midst of that success. So are you aware of what God's doing in your life? Because it is possible to be aware of what God is doing in your life. And the more alive we are in him, the more aware, even if we don't quite understand moment to moment, we have a lot better uh, perspective looking back saying, that was God. That was God with me during that. I thought I was alone. The Lord was with me. Or looking ahead saying, I don't know what's up there or out there, but I knew who's going to be waiting for me and walking with me. So here we are in this series on the Beatitudes, uh, these blessed statements. Beatitude is just a, a blessing. Uh, not just a blessing as if it doesn't matter, but it's a fancy word saying blessing. And these blessings that Jesus uh, rolled out in this first major public moment when he's teaching, and then from then on, teaching constantly teaching this content uh, in various settings, uh, it tells us everything we need to know about what Jesus came to do. And so it's called the up, upside-down gospel in these Beatitudes because it starts with things like, you know, blessed are you... Uh, who are spiritually poor, because yours is the kingdom of heaven. You think, that doesn't make sense. I thought I had to be spiritually rich and have it together. Uh, No, the kingdom of heaven is for you. And every one of these is sort of an impossible thing. And uh, and we find out that Jesus is saying, it's impossible for you. It's not impossible for me. Uh, But in me you can do virtually impossible things. So here we are uh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Uh, this is in Matthew 5. All these Beatitudes are in Matthew 5. This is Matthew 5, 9. And so here we are. Blessed are the peacemakers, uh, for they shall be called children of God. And again, we see Jesus calling blessed something that seems virtually impossible. Why? Have you tried, have you tried lately to be a peacemaker anywhere? Good luck with that. Uh, peacemakers in Palestine makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, every every significant army uh, in history has marched through Palestine. Just let that sink in. It's a it's a land bridge. It's a land bridge from Asia to Africa. Uh, it, it it attracted people from Europe. Have you ever heard of the Crusades? That was a big happy get together among people in Palestine. Uh, you think about the the current situation in Palestine. It's it's crazy, dangerous. I find it kind of humorous—not that it's dangerous and crazy, but that the people living there are so used to it, they don't see it as crazy and dangerous. They they are aware of the danger, but they live. And so, the several times that Janet and I've been there, uh, four or five times in, in the Holy Land. And by the way, I was so confused when people would talk about the Holy Land. I thought they were talking about like the Rockies or the High Sierra or someplace. And finally, somebody explained it to me. No, it's in Palestine. And so when you're in the Holy Land and the people there find out you're from California, Southern California, they go, oh, no, how do you even, how do you, how do you get by there? How do you even dare to live there? And you think, what? Have you been there? And, you know, the, the drive-by shootings, the floods, the earthquakes, the fires. It's the most dangerous place. Uh, or the United States to them is dangerous. I, I, we were having uh, lunch in Jericho in this uh, new restaurant, and uh, I was talking to the guy who's all excited about his new restaurant. He's a Palestinian guy. And I said, wow, this is fantastic. And and he's talking. I said, you know, you have a a phenomenal command of vernacular English. And you, you you you, you grew up here, but you have this incredible American accent. He goes, yeah, well, I used to live in Detroit. I said, you lived in Detroit? Yeah, I wanted to get out of here and and see the world. And the world is not in Detroit, I can tell you that. But he said, yeah, I ended up in Detroit. And uh, I said, what brought you back here? He goes, it was just too dangerous there, man. (laughs) Like, you live in Jericho. There's guys driving by right now in Jeeps with guns and things. And people, you know, making sure everything is okay. you know. Um, Blessed are the peacemakers. In Palestine, uh, I have to admit, I prefer the alternative version of this verse, blessed are the cheesemakers. I find that a lot more approachable. Um, making cheese is so much easier than making peace. Uh, don't you agree? I mean, really, would you rather make cheese or make peace? Uh, uh, cheese, please. You know, that's, that's what I would go for. Because we all yearn for peace, but we often have to settle for hiding or appeasing hoping to avoid conflict in this world. We yearn for peace. Every human heart yearns for peace. And it, it becomes so distorted so quickly. Why is Russia in Ukraine right now? To help make peace for the people of Ukraine. Yeah, that's what I thought. I assumed that. I just wanted to get some clarity uh, from the people actually you know, making that happen. We all yearn for peace, but we often settle for hiding or appeasing, hoping to avoid conflict. Keep your head down. Don't look anybody in the eye directly. Just kind of get through and you'll avoid in- inevitable conflict and uncomfortable situations. Uh, I grew up in a family that didn't process conflict well. And as a, as a result, we lived in it. Because we didn't process conflict, conflict, we lived in it. We were immersed in it. How about your family? What was your family like i i I asked that question of some friends this week, and it was interesting to hear their response and and um, every family inevitably every marriage has conflict and in in the in the family that you grew up in in the marriages that you 've seen, how did people handle conflict i, 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 I um, some of you heard me say when I was a new believer. Uh, uh, the people who made the most impact in my life, phenomenal people. Uh, Wally uh, was a physician, he'd been an African missionary. Um, uh, Margo, his wife, was a, a clinical psychologist, psychotherapist, and they were just phenomenal Christian people. Margo was on Young Life staff. Uh, Wally was just this incredible renaissance man. You know, They were just amazing people. And as I got to know him, I was... Uh, um, I even lived with them for a while and, uh, when I was in college. And, and one time I came home, and they're having this massive fight. Now, I, I meanwhile, I had been praying that if my parents could just become Christians, everything would be cool at our house. I was out of the house, but I realized it was a, you know, it was a tough place to live. And Margot and Waller had this crazy fight. And I'm thinking, oh, no. Oh, no. I said, what are you guys doing? And they said, what? We're, we're just processing some stuff. I said, "But you're fighting. You haven't just fight. They said, well, what do you expect us to do? I said, well, you know, you're Christians. And I'd been a Christian you know, a couple years by then. And I said, you know, they said, no, no, no. Because we're Christians, we're processing this stuff so we can keep a strong relationship. And I realized, oh, my gosh, even if my parents became Christians, they'd still have a lot to work through. Uh, our, our family, our home was a domestic war zone. Uh, that's not an over-exaggeration. Um, it was uh, wild. And peace in our house was an uneasy truce in between fights. Uh, it would go underground, but you could, su- you could summon it at moment's notice. And the underlying conflict was never identified or resolved. Now You could assume what the conflict was in some cases, um, but you didn't ever really get to, well, what is at-, at stake here? What is this about? Because the stuff that it would be about were just triggers. They were just like, like a little match. It's not, what it, it's not about the match, it's about all the conflagration that came out of that. What was that all about? Where did all that dry material come from that causes a small fire in California? I mean, one of the biggest fires we've had in California, somebody was having a gender reveal for their baby. And they're out in Riverside County having a big picnic with all these family and friends, and they do this fireworks thing to reveal the gender. Next thing you know, Southern California is in the worst fire mode it's ever been in. Um, uh, and so when finally people said, okay, what caused this? What was going on here? And it was a gender reveal. It was like, really? All that damage from that? So the underlying conflict was never identified or resolved, and we were stuck in a gyre of brokenness. A gyre. You know what a gyre is? A gyre is, is a, a water feature where the current of the water is swirling around. Now there's five gyres in the world. I mean, there's little gyres. Um, if you've ever memorized the Jabberwocky poem, you know, uh, did gyre and gimble in the way, it's just a bunch of nonsense. It's real words put together in a nonsensical way. But a gyre, there's five gyres in the world. And uh, all they are, are are patterns of current, and it's how the water circulates around the entire world. Water is circulating in these gyres and passed on to the next gyre, which is passed on. But one of the features in these gyres is an unfortunate feature. One of the biggest ones is right off the Pacific Coast. If you're going to jump on a boat uh, here and go to Hawaii, to your right is the is the gyre, uh, and it's one of the largest uh, containment. Uh, areas of debris on the planet. Every one of them has it but there's two in particular that have massive, massive, you've heard of this, where all the the garbage accumulates and it's captured. Now the water is moving through and on but the garbage is accumulating and so it's it's a big problem. And having, if you've sailed in the Pacific, you've seen all this garbage and if you go to its source, you can't imagine how big, how giant an area it is of all this garbage that is being contained in the gyre. Our family was like a gyre of garbage, a gyre of brokenness. Unresolved stuff. And you think, oh my gosh, uh, why would anybody want that? Well, we yearn for peace, but we often settle for hiding or appeasing, hoping to avoid conflict. I don't like conflict, how about you? Do you love conflict? Maybe, maybe you're the source of a lot of it. Maybe you do love it. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, what was your, what's your response to conflict? What do you do when you're in the midst of conflict? Do you trigger back into being a kid? Uh, do you have all kinds of coping skills? You say, hey, I, I know what to do here. First of all, is this my problem or not? And what, what can I do to participate in the resolution of this? Um, would you describe yourself as a peacemaker or a peacekeeper? There is a difference between the two. Would you say I'm a peacemaker or I'm a peacekeeper? Many people pride themselves on, being, on calling themselves peacemakers and they're really peacekeepers. If, if they were called to go to Ukraine and meet with the, and the Russians and the Ukrainians, a peacekeeper would say No. You didn't mean to, to come in here. A- and you did some things that maybe precipitated this. Can you, we just apologize? Can each of you just apologize? Can't we all just get along? That's a peacekeeper. And I tried to be a peacekeeper for my parents. I'm the eldest of five kids. So I jump in there as a, as a kid and say, hey, hey, wait, you know, wait, what? Well, just can't we calm down and uh, put that down? You know, uh, you know stop doing that. And, and I thought I was going to be a peacemaker. I didn't know what it was, but I was looking back. I, I think I thought I was going to be a peacemaker. But I was really just a peacekeeper. And it was completely and totally ineffective because I lacked authority, understanding, power to leverage any kind of participation in a process. Um, I was you know, just a, a part of the collateral damage at that point. And of course, over time, my resentment grew because there was I can't solve this. I can't fix this. And from a kid's perspective, you think, this should be fixable and solvable. These are adults. And, and the things you see happening, you think, I don't, you know, when it escalates and escalates, you think, I just, this is not right. Even as a kid, you know, this is not right. This is scary, and this is uncomfortable. And uh, as I got older, I just withdraw out of my room. I can't deal with it, I just withdrew. If it got really crazy, I'd call the police, or the neighbor would call the police. And eventually I left home at 15. And... Um, Just to, you know, um, just to get out of it. And uh, it was a crazy time. But it took me a while in life to understand that the stressful effects of living under constant conflict stay with you. They become part of your interior architecture, the way you cope. And you become unconsciously shaped by it. And uh, you don't leave it at home. You take it with you without even knowing it can you relate to this at all? Uh, and, and, and the benign version of it, maybe you're sitting here saying, gosh, I'm th- thankful I didn't grow up in that kind of family, but maybe the family you grew up in was not as crazy on the surface. But looking back, you might say, why didn't we ever talk about anything? Why was it not okay to either disagree or have a conflict or to suggest there might be a solution to it? and you know if dad said it that was it or if mom did it that was the way it was going to happen or if the kid screamed loud enough the kid always got the you know whatever the version was for you now that shaped you going into your workplace all the other relationships you have and we all want to then go into the next chapter season of life saying i'm going to make it so good it's going to be so much better that's why people get married i know it can be better People, many people choose to live together, which is a big mistake. Every problem, every, now I don't mean just morally and how what the Bible says about that. I'm saying just every scientific study on living together says it undermines marriage. Why? Because when you live together you're already assuming uh, you know, the, the defecation is going to hit the ventilation at some point. And I want to be ready. I want to see what I'm getting into. And you're, everybody's holding their breath and trying to make it work. And they, they kind of live a circumscribed life together because they don't want to mess it up. And then if they finally get married, they still live that circumscribed life, but now they're married. And so it actually undermines the marriage. It's a crazy thing. Uh, what's the point of that? Well, it's that we internalize this stuff and we operate out of it. And when it doesn't work, we, tr- we go back to those patterns and those habits and those skills we think we have. And we just can't figure out. Why? And of course what it says to us is if I had just chosen a better person or if I could just swap this person out then I could get back to what I really need, what I really want. We underestimate the depth of our problem and overestimate our capacity to correct it. We underestimate the depth of our problem as human beings Internally, externally, as families, as communities, as countries, as, as, as the world. We underestimate the depth of our problem and overestimate our capacity to correct it. How many churches have been started because, because a bunch of people said, I'm going to start a perfect church, we're going to get it right. Pretty much every church starts because we're going to get it right. I uh, heard Somebody said recently, you know, uh, only 5% of the people in San Diego go to church. We're going to start the church to reach that 95%. It's the most arrogant, naive thing you can say. And many, many pastors are saying this out of a good intention. I want to reach people for Christ. That's all good. But the attitude is, because other churches really haven't done it. They just couldn't find the right combination of things uh, to make that happen. And therefore you hear the hyperbole and the self-promotion that comes from churches. We're the greatest this, we're the best. There was an ad for the longest time um, here that said, we're the most loving church in San Diego. And I thought, shoot, I can't go there. (laughs) Ah, no. Uh, There's a church that, I I, I, I can tell church stories all day. There was a church here, and it was just a, you know, the beautiful, the hip of happening. And I was talking to a young couple who went there, and, 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 I, and I said, hey, how's it going? They said, yeah, we don't go there anymore. I said, well, why not? It was like the perfect church. You said it was, you know, everybody was, everything was awesome. because I know. But then it turned out that we weren't fit enough, good-looking enough. We just felt, every time we went there, we thought, this is not for us. And of course, then we got to know the people, and it's the old thing. You know, everybody's normal until you get to know them. And then you go, ah, these are just like the people I left. There's an old fable. A guy comes into a small town in America, and they say, hey, stranger, how are you doing? Good. I just came from that you know, village 10 miles away. And those people are miserable, rotten. Uh, um, I want to come to a place where they're really, they're really wonderful people. And, and the, the guy looks at him and goes, you're not going to like it here. <laughs> keep walking. It's not going to happen for you. We have these things internalized, and we operate out of them. And, and why do we keep getting the same result? We're a gyre. We are a gyre of brokenness, and all that movement just keeps circulating the garbage. Uh, Jeremiah says it this way: The Lord is speaking to the people of Israel. They're in captivity. Their prophets are saying all these false things to them. Oh man, this is going to be just an easy thing. Uh, don't unpack. We're going to be right back to Israel like that. They don't know that they're going to be there for a whole generation. And they're getting all this false prophecy. And finally God says to Jeremiah, tell them what's going on. Tell them the truth. And and, and so Jeremiah is speaking on behalf of God, says uh, to the people, as if God is speaking. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. They're putting a Band-Aid on cancer. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. This is the human dilemma. So three big ideas that come out of this. The first is this, pursuing peace as a way of life requires recognizing and embracing conflict as a, way, as a fact of life. The first big idea of the morning, pursuing peace as a way of life requires recognizing and embracing conflict as a fact of life. You want to live a peace as a way of life, you've got to understand that conflict is a fact of life. And As long as we're underestimating it, minimizing it, avoiding it, or seeing when it shows up as a fail. Oh, no. Oh, no, we're having conflict. It's over. No, no. It might just be beginning. Because until you move through the conflict, you you are living on the surface. Until you have conflict with people you know well, even a gentle disagreement, there's no depth. You're all walking on eggshells, hoping something bad doesn't erupt in the midst of it. As they said in the in Monty Python's Holy Grail, as the guy's arms are being chopped off and legs chopped off, the, the night, fighting these guys, and it's a totally humorous, crazy sketch, and and all the blood squirting out, and they said, hey hey, you know, enough is enough. And the guy's going, no, it's just a flesh wound. He goes, psh, psh. Uh, and you can, yes, you can, you can do that right now on your phone and see it if you want to do that. Right? Um, it's just a flesh wound. And so if you don't understand that pursuing peace as a way of life requires recognizing conflict as a fact of life, we're in La La Land. And embracing conflict as a fact of life doesn't mean capitulating to it. Okay, just accept it. Uh, but confronting it. And confronting it doesn't mean you take out a hammer and start whacking at things. It means, what is the appropriate response to this conflict? Is it about me? Is it about you? Is it about us? What? What's happening? Is it a conflict of need? There's one way to approach it if it's a conflict of need. Is it a conflict of value? Conflict of value a a bit more, more complicated. I wish I had time to unpack all that. And so why not just start with you? Because the challenge in our opportunity is in becoming wise and understanding. If we don't start with a new database, a new, a new foundation of wisdom and understanding, we constantly operate out of the same old stuff. And, and James, uh, the stepbrother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, said it this way. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such, quote, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. This, it's, that's a, that, that, that has the smoke of hell about it, you know? What's that smoky smell? It's not barbecue. It's the source of this is, is the ultimate uh, disobedience toward God that, that re- resides in demonic forces. That's why Paul can say, we don't fight against powers and principalities that we can see. We're fighting about, against spiritual powers and principalities. We'll come back to that in a little bit, too. He says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Now, those two, two words or phrases, envy and selfish ambition. Why is envy bad? Well, because what we're made for is admiration and affirmation. When I see somebody doing something really great or accomplishing something really fantastic, my response ought to be admiration and appreciation and affirmation. That's fantastic. But we devolve into envy. We go the wrong direction. Selfish ambition. Uh, right there, you say, oh, selfish ambition. Yeah, it's all those business guys. <laughs> no, it's not all those business guys. <laughs> because ambition says, I really want to go for the highest of the best. I hope everybody in this room is ambitious. I mean, this is what Paul wrote to the Philippians. My prayer for you is you have more ambition, still more love, a love that is full of knowledge and every wise insight. He writes to Timothy, Timothy, make it your ambition. It's what you're focusing on, what you're going for, what you're investing yourself in. Ah, selfish ambition is in the wrong direction. There's a whole other set of cascading events that come out of that. Unintended consequences that are always futile and don't end well. But So envy and selfish ambition are horrible. Why? Because they come out of the brokenness of this gyre that keeps us in its thrall. It's unspiritual, it's demonic. It's bound by earth, not informed by heaven. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. All these great qualities. And peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What he's telling us is that it's something about our characters. What Martin Luther King said so beautifully, it's about your character. Not the amount of money in your account, the color of your skin, where you grew up, where you didn't grow up, where you went to school, where you didn't go to school, what you own, what you don't own. Who you know, who you don't know. Peacemaking is about your character. And peacemakers who sow in peace, that just they show up being themselves. They don't bring special equipment. They don't have a special program. Reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, they did something wrong. Uh Uh-uh, that's not it. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. We're trying to be validated by all the wrong things. Well, if I get that, then I'll be this. Then everybody will think of me this way. It doesn't work that way. They're going to, what? Because then what happens, of course, is that envy and selfish ambition kicks in. Yeah, you might have that now, but not for long. We're going to take you down. So pursuing peace as a way of life requires recognizing and embracing conflict as a fact of life, which then sets us up for this next big idea in the morning, that peacemaking is not a program, but a way of being, living, and engaging the world peacemaking is all about doing, but it starts with being. Peacemaking is not a program, but a way of being you in Christ, living and engaging the world. Now, let's just say the obvious. Some people are energized by conflict. Some people get all their energy out of conflict and anger and violence to get through life. They use anger and conflict as a way of destabilizing the people and the situations around them so they can then manipulate them and exploit them. Have you ever met people who operate out of anger? Sometimes, especially with younger people, uh, um, it's the old expression, show me a a young man full of zeal, and I can show you a man who has an issue with his father. Really an issue with authority. The idea that I am right and we're going to run you over if you don't get it. You see a bunch of immature people in, uh, in leadership everywhere in the world now. In politics especially, it's so glaring because we get to see that or hear that constantly. But if you go down some levels, you'll go, this happens everywhere. This idea, there's all these zealous people, so right. But what it is, is anger and fear. And they're, they're, they're disruptors, which is just kind of the cool kid's way of saying, I have a, I have a, I have a hall pass uh, for making life tough for everybody so I can then somehow get through it. So the person who's bold and decisive can either be bold and decisive or <laughs> they're people with an anger issue because, man, uh, I'm not getting what I need or what I want and therefore I'm going to just disrupt it. Everybody's going to be in such shock and, and, and awe that then I'll get to do what I need to do. Have you met people like this? If you haven't, spend a weekend in Washington, D.C. Uh, you've, you've John Richmond, John Cotton Richmond, um, has preached here several times. Um, he spent all of his, most of his adult life in Washington D.C. Either at the Department of Justice or as an ambassador overseeing all of our national efforts against human trafficking. And he said, you know, one of the shocking things to me when I went to Washington D.C. was to realize that all those kids like me in high school who aspired to be leaders all showed up in Washington D.C. and it was ugly. It was it was the most backstabbing, crazy situation to be in with all these smart people who knew how to get things done at your expense. This is not an indictment on leadership at all. It's simply saying that if we're energized by conflict, that is, I want to make it happen so I can use it as a cover for my mischief, we're back in the gyre. These people use intimidation, confusion, disruption to manipulate, exploit, and hurt people. They're crafty, they're wily, and people don't want to mess with them. And, and the obvious people to pick on are the people in the paper. You know, a Putin is this. This is Putin. He cannot, cannot, cannot do anything but what he's doing because what happens when the dust settles, everybody goes, hey, you did this. Why did this happen? Why are all these people dying? Was there no other way we could have gone at this if we had an issue there? And take that and look at it in families and marriages, in schools, in businesses, nonprofit organizations, anywhere. This is what happens. Now, let me, let me flip that and say peacemakers get angry. If you don't get angry at the injustice that you see in the world, what's wrong with you? What do you understand about it? If you can see somebody being abused or misused, or mistreated, and you don't get angry or concerned or some level of emotional, what? I mean, I find myself getting angry and sad at lots of things. Don't you? Oh, my gosh, it breaks my heart to see that happening. Um, a friend of mine who's a former Navy SEAL, he, um, he decides to take a city bus here in San Diego. He's on the bus, and this big dude gets on with a small boy. And the big dude, his father, apparently, or boyfriend of the mom or something, is just harang- harassing this kid, haranguing him. The kid can't do anything right. And the guys, you can see the, the, this big dude is intimidating the kid. And the kid's cowering, and, and my friend's watching. He's not liking it. He's not a big guy, but he knows how to deal with big guys. And the bus stops before he's going to get off, but this guy gets off, so this, my friend gets off the bus. I'm like, oh, no. Like, oh, oh, I can see he's going. And he goes, no, it's not what you think. <laughs> I didn't pound the guy. I just came up behind it, beside him while the kid is doing something. And I put my hand under his armpit where there's a pressure point. And he was about six inches taller than me. And I just pushed it up so he's even taller than me. And I looked him in the eye and I said, don't ever do that to that kid again. Because if I'm not there to see it, somebody else will be. And they're not going to like it. Don't mistreat that kid. Do we understand that? The guy goes, yeah, yeah, OK. I just know you're having a bad day. And I know you won't do that again. If it doesn't make you angry or sad, what is wrong with you? However, peacemakers are not energized by conflict and they don't use anger as a cover for mischief. Peacemakers get angry, but they're energized by God's redemptive love and reconciliation. They're energized to say, okay, I'm I'm, I'm mad and I'm sad. How can I help? How can I go where those kids are and get them out of that horrible situation? How can I go where those people are in my neighborhood, in my community, or across the the world, and say, what could I possibly do? See, peacemakers don't call themselves peacemakers. They simply help people find peace for a better life. They're constructive. They're resilient. They're resourceful. What could I do? Who do I know? What effort could I join? See, it's not just a program, it's a way of being and engaging the world that might result in programs, but it's really about you being you in Christ. The Apostle Paul said it this way in his letter to the Galatians. "Uh, Do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man, a person, reaps what they sow. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good but at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Why would, if goodness is its own reward, why would we get weary being good? Because at some point you realize there's a lot of people who are free riding on your goodness. They're expecting you to be good, you to, you to be giving, you to be serving. And it can discourage you. You go, man, uh, okay. Or you're weary in doing good because your life is out of balance, you're out of whack. You're going to have to save the world and you know what? We cannot save the world. The world is God's to save. And as long as you think you're going to save the world, you're going to be ticked off. that people aren't cooperating. You'll be weary in your goodness, and you'll become cynical, and you become a slacker. You say, eh, it's not my deal. You know. It's like that old song that said, I'd love to change the world are just so hard to do. So, I'll leave it up to you. Paul told Timothy to actively struggle to overcome the evil forces that threaten his faith. Uh, we see this in 1 Timothy 6:12. The context is that Paul sees life as a battle. It's an adventure, yeah. It's a mystery, yeah. It's a gift, yeah. It's a battle as well. He sees it as a battle. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. When you came to know Christ and you, you called him your Savior and your Lord and you were baptized through the influence of your grandmother and your mom. Timothy, I'm reminding you of this. You, you stepped into the battle. So fight the good fight. What? Everybody knows you're not supposed to fight, right? What if we had a big bullying problem here <clears throat> and the kids were telling Connie every week, oh man, I was bullied again at school. Would we go down and ask the school to make a rule about bullying? Uh, no, they already have those rules. What we do is teach kids how to box. We teach kids how to defend themselves. Not that they would immediately start every, every conflict with, with violence they'd know how to fight the good fight. They'd have the confidence to say, you know, no, I'm not going to do that, and I'd like you to leave me alone. Think about that. It's not violence breeding violence. It's saying, how can we help people construct an understanding of who they are that they can be so present to God and so confident in the fact that goodness is even worth suffering for that they can, in the most appropriate way possible, confront evil, confront bullying, confront whatever. Because they know there's, they, they can defend themselves or they can defend somebody else. But they don't lead with a, I'm going to beat you up if you don't do that. Does that make sense to you? Does that sound uncomfortable to you? How do you fight the good fight? Most people fight the good fight by not fighting. And they walk on and they go, It'll, ah, it's not my thing. Christians do this. We're the most generous people in the country, and so we send checks. That's the awesome thing to do. Follow up the check with your presence. See, there's good fighting there's bad fighting. Are you fighting for your marriage? Are you fighting for your kids? If not, what don't you understand about your marriage or your kids? There are some good fights to be had. Like if I love somebody, I can say, hey, this is really bumming me out. Can we talk about it? That's an act of love. That's, that's a fight thing, because fighting says, no more. I can't do this. And then what can I do? I'm not going to now intimidate bully back. What I'm going to say is, out of the strength that God gives me, what can I do to step up and say, can we process this in a different way than we've been doing? I tried to do that when I was a little kid with my family. I was too little, and even as I got older, it didn't work. But as an adult, you can come back and say, hey, can we process some of the stuff that we went through? And, and that's, there's some power in that. Everybody fights for something. We fight with words and weapons, high volume and hard silence. For Paul, the good fight is a positive metaphor for pursuing and prevailing in righteousness. Fight the good fight. Don't run away. If you just give evil more room to expand. Don't be belligerent. Don't make everything a big, okay, man, we're going to fight. Just make it as a, hey, you know what? Uh, no, you can't do that to that child anymore. Well, I'll kill you, man. You might kill me, but there'll be another guy behind me. who's just say, you can't do that to that kid. And so we redirect people's violence and, and reposition it to something else. Sometimes that doesn't work. So fighting the good fight isn't hurting or wounding, killing, intimidating, or controlling other people not threatening them into righteousness. You can't threaten somebody into righteousness. You can get cooperation, but you will not get righteousness. Fighting the good fight is contending with sacrificial love by the power of Jesus. Was Jesus intimidated by the Romans? No, he was not. Was he intimidated by the high priest's minions? No, he was not. Was he intimidated by the crowds jeering at him? No, he was not. Was he intimidated by Herod or Pilate? No, he was not. Was he intimidated when they put him on the cross? No, he was not. How do we know? Forgive them, for they, Father, for they do not know what they do. He was not intimidated. He was willing to bear the shame and the pain because he was going to rise again from the dead and reign in glory forever and ever. Amen. He came as a suffering servant. He will return as the conquering Lord. It's contending with sacrificial love by the power of Jesus. It's a commitment to blessing people, which brings us to the third point. If the first one is pursuing peace as a way of life means recognizing conflict as a fact of life. And the second part is that peacemaking isn't a program, it's a a person. It's a way of being, living and engaging the world. The third point is this. In in, in, In Jesus Christ, we have peace from God for facing the conflicts in us and around us. In Jesus Christ, we have, we have, if we only learn how to use it and receive it and operate out of it. We have peace from God for facing the conflicts in us and around us. And Jesus said it this way. You don't have slides for this, but, uh, but I'm going to read this here. John 14. Jesus says, "Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you, I, get, I, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace I leave with you, peace I give you. But it's not the way the world gives you peace. At the end of World War II, we said, OK, everybody's, everybody's now it's peace. And Stalin said, yeah, I'm going to be peaceful in Russia. You guys be peaceful where you are. And 129 million people later are dead in the USSR. Mao Zedong says, look, we got it under control. It's a whole new way of it's a It's a revolution to make people free. 45 million people died. That's how the world gives peace. Wow, it's really peaceful over there. Yeah, well, once they beat the crap out of them, they stop complaining. Punishment will continue until morale improves. You see, that's how the world gives peace. We smooth it over and go, it's awesome. Look how peaceful it is. They go back to their cells, we undo the manacles, we give them a meal. They love it, they're comfortable, they're secure. We bring them out for, for activities. Yeah, they chip big rocks into little rocks. They make products that consumers in the West buy. But these Uyghur people love this because they have three hots in a cod. You go, what? Are you kidding me? No, that's how the world gives peace. That's not how Jesus gives peace. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled, do not be afraid. In Christ, God's peace is a feature of our everyday experience as we respond to his love and grace. This is a promise from him. Paul describes it this way, and I, I asked the question the, rhetorically, rhetorically. Is it your experience? Is the peace of Christ your experience? If not, don't feel like oh, I'm being shamed, I'm, I'm failing. No, just say, it's available to you. You probably don't think you're either qualified for it, <laughs> worthy of it, or how to access it. It's more than just a fluffy feeling. Of being everything, everything is right in my world. It's not painfully numb. It's an awareness that God himself is with you and in you. And we, we stop long enough to resonate with that. That's what it looks like to appropriate this peace. And Paul said it this way, writing to the Romans in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. We're taking a stand. We're not cowering or running. We're taking a stand. And we boast, if we're going to boast, not how awesome we are, but we boast in the hope of the glory of God. God made some promises that he's going to keep. Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. What? Yeah, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Where do these ideas come from? And these are how does anybody actually live a real life with these ideas? I don't know. Ask um, Nelson Mandela. He comes out of off of Robben Island after 27 years, and they say that was horrible. They said, actually, no. Um, when I'm not winning, I'm learning. That wasn't a loss, that was a win. I learned, I grew over 27 years. Jalen Hurts walks off the field and somebody says, wow, how does it feel to lose? He goes, I didn't lose, I learned. When I don't win, I learn. What Paul's saying here is, you have won. Everything that God has is yours. And even when it looks like it's not working, it's working. Here's here's what it looks like to learn. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Really? That's learning? That's part of the win? Uh Uh-huh, that's part of the win. That's the power, the enduring, unassailable power of the peace of God that allows us to be people of His peace, therefore peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Peacemakers embrace God's truth, love, and grace because... Righteousness is actually empathy plus justice. You hear the chanting, no justice, no peace. It's just a half truth. That is a, either half truth or half lie. No justice, no peace, wrong. Because if you if it's just no justice, no peace, you get another dictator. Bad guys swapping out bad guys. What, what righteousness is, is justice and empathy. No empathy, no peace. Because if you don't have empathy, you don't care about people if you just have justice you just want to get your version of it your share of it and the rest of them to heck with them powerful powerful concept theologically is that righteousness is god's empathy for god so loved the world and justice that he gave his only son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sin you see the power of this and out of that comes peace and what is peace it's the shalom of god the right alignment with God's purposes, under God's authority, in a world that is a brokenness, a gyre of brokenness. And so let's remember that people aren't our real enemy. Satan is the enemy of all mankind. And Jesus Christ has decisively defeated him on the cross and offers his peace to everyone. Jesus, Prince of Peace, calls us to pray for ourselves and also for our enemies and our adversaries. Now, if, if Jesus' peace from, is from God is how we face conflicts in and around us, we have to make one final observation on this peacemaking risks persecution. Let me say it more softly peacemaking risks pushback. That's why peacemaking is not running around and getting into other people's business, telling them what they should do. That's, that's, peacekeepers do that. Peacemakers bring in the moral authority of God. The empathy of God, the justice of God in every situation. And through words and deeds um, they make it known that there's an alternative to the chaos that people are trapped in. Some people, remember we said earlier, love the chaos. That's how they get what they want to get done done. And that's why persecution is a feature. And we'll talk about that next week. Uh, the last two parts of, the, of this series on the Beatitudes Two, two comments, either two different ones. There's either eight or nine Beatitudes. But we're going to take the eighth and the ninth as one because they both talk about persecution. Because peacemakers have to be ready for the fact that it's not my program. How do we, why do we know this? Because Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. So let me leave you with this. I love this prayer from, uh, attributed to Francis of Assisi. Lord, make me a channel of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring your love. Where there is injury, your pardon, Lord. And where there's doubt, true faith in you. Make me a channel of your peace. Where there's despair in life, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, only light. And where there's sadness, ever joy. O Master, grant that I may never seek so much to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand to be loved as to love with all my soul make me a channel of your peace it is in pardoning that we are pardoned in giving of ourselves that we receive and in dying that we are born to eternal life blessed are the peacemakers for they shall what they shall be called children of god that's who we are in christ and that's what we do in christ So Lord Jesus, that's our prayer, that we can actually be what you've created us to be. And we can actually do what you've created us to do. That is to be your beloved children, uh, doing your will out of the righteousness that you are forming in us through the Holy Spirit, through your word, through the encouraging words and the mentorship uh, coaching of your people. Lord, we want to be blessed to be a blessing. We want to not only experience your peace, but release it wherever we go. We want to give it as a gift with with no conditions. So, Lord, that's our prayer, our hope, that we would not just be peacekeepers, satisfied to maintain the status quo or avoid real conflict, but that we would be peacemakers willing to walk with you no matter how scary it looks or how easy it might feel. We simply want to be your people living out of your shalom now and forever. And so we pray this in your high and holy name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, let's wrap up our worship time. Uh, We we do that with a type of offering. If you want to give something to support the church, we definitely need that and appreciate that. But this is not that kind of offering. Uh, You can contribute. There's a little box there. You can send us whatever contributions. Uh, What this is, is for you to say, Lord, here I am. What do you want to do with this message, this music, these words, these prayers this morning? in my life? Where are you that, that God can meet you where you are? What do you sense you need to go that he can help you get there? That's what we're going to do in this time of offering. So let's wrap up our worship by offering ourselves to him.
0: love for
2: Yeah, a child of God, a child of God, and a child of God that God is raising up as beloved sons and daughters by faith into full maturity, into our fullest capacities. It's not to keep us as little children, it's to raise us up uh, into fully developed people uh, who are fighting the good fight with gentleness, love, and respect, with confidence in the rightness of God's goodness and justice, uh, understanding that the power of His peace compels us to do that. If we can pray for you about anything that's concerning you or people that you care about, go right out around the corner uh, to that prayer garden and and there'll be people who will pray with you. Uh, Get something to eat and drink. um, Spend some time just talking to people and introduce yourself to somebody and say hello. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with Him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for being here today. Have a great rest of the day.